talk about extremes and talk about an ego death. I mean, that was incredibly confronting. My entire identity was er was erotic rock star. And now suddenly I had zero interest in sex. Hello, everyone. It's Christine. Before I get going with our guest, I want to tell you about an experience I had when I was visiting Encinitas. I was given a massage and the massage was conducted inside of a sling, inside of a cocoon. And that sling was hung from a Buckminster Fuller dome. And then within the, the sling, you were sort of stretched and moved and twisted and, and very organically supported as you uh, were kind of moved through Watsu style movements and partner yoga style movements and and Thai yoga massage style movements, all while being really held safely and and in a contained way. And at the end of this, I was asked if I wanted a tea and to pull a card. And I pulled a card for the hummingbird. And, you know, hummingbirds magical anyway, just they're like small powerhouses. And uh, so beautiful, and they appear out of nowhere, and they stand still, and you can watch them like no other, no other bird, no other winged being. But in this case, the meaning of the hummingbird was to head for the flowers. You know, not to stare at the dung heap or get distracted by the pains and the slings and the things of the past, but to really go directly toward what is beautiful what nourishes you, what nurtures you, what is good for you, where the sweet amrita and the sweet honey exists. How do you focus on the good? Go toward the good, go toward your calling, go toward your inmost voice. And that has been a recurring theme this entire year. What do you really desire? What would it mean to go toward your pleasure? What would it mean to go toward your joy and to get off the frequency of complaint? So, I want to just bring that in before we start talking to Destin. What would it mean to head for the flowers? Head for the flowers. Uh, Destin has headed for the flowers. He is a globally recognized voice in masculinity, sexuality, and personal empowerment. He's a certified sexologist through the American College of Sexologists International and the author of the best-selling book, The Evolved Masculine. His innovative lens is the result of more than 20 years of academic rigor and direct study, including seven formative years traveling the world, living and teaching as his provocative alter ego, the erotic rock star. Now, he says he started as a shy and holding back person, and then he went into the erotic rock star mode. Uh, but now he's a father, and he's got a lot to say about the journey uh, through these stages and, and being open and messy, and experimentive, and curious. He's the host of the podcast Diving Deep with Destin, Sex, Love, and Evolution, and also the director of the award-winning short film Seductive Devotion. And through his flagship program, Sexual Self-Mastery, he's trained over 2,000 men to master their sexual energy and become attuned, evolved lovers. He's taken the most potent aspects of his life experimentation and integrated into an iconic body of work, directly supporting thousands to have better sex, deeper connections to their own power, women, and themselves. Now, you know, 
I have been having a lot of male body guests. And for a long time, for the first year and a half or two years of the podcast, I, I had maybe one masculine guest. And in the last few months, I've been noticing that there is a long line of people that I've really not brought to the table because I was trying to emphasize and give platforms to women. So it just so happens that we have a concentration of male-bodied speakers in this period. But I am not losing sight of the balance. It's just a balance over time that got a little out of whack. So I am happy today to introduce you to Destin. I got to see him last weekend uh, at a social event unexpectedly, and he really lives this kind, curious, very playful and investigative energy thoroughly. So he's the real deal. I start by asking him how he was called to this work. trauma. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the usual ways. The the usual ways. Needing to find a way out of the intensity of my experience and needing to find better answers than the ones that our larger society was presenting me with because they were not helping me actually solve my problems. Uh, We can start with, I I grew up in a, a broken home a lot of da- near daily conflict between my parents and me and my sister, but mostly me getting hit on a near daily basis, etc. So I I set in early that there, the dynamic relationship between my model of man and woman was broken from the onset. Um, then in high school, my uh, girlfriend at the time was raped on her 15th birthday just before we met. And I was the first person she told. It had a massive effect on me, uh, her obviously, but on, on me as well, um, which is only secondary trauma. And I ended up being with her for about three years, and the effects of that rape were ever-present. And at one point in a state of exasperation, I made a declaration to God, the universe, myself most of all, that I would do everything with my life that I could to create a world where things like that didn't happen. And I had no idea what a wild, twisty, turny path that was going to turn out to be. Um, the other major thing that happened at that time, though, was I took in a, I internalized this message that men and men's sexuality, first and foremost, are not to be trusted and they're dangerous. Now, being a boy on the cusp of manhood, um, you know, the effect that it had on me was I dissociated from these parts of myself. I retreated more into my more feminine parts because they somehow seemed safer. And um, it continued that way more and more over the next decade. And finally, in the in my late 20s, I started to get the message that something was not right. My life was not working. My relationship wasn't working. Nothing was. And I got the idea that my relationship to my masculinity as well as how I connect with other men or mostly didn't was wrapped up in these problems I was having. And I did this deep dive in, I mean, 2007, now 16 years, uh, a deep dive into exploring what masculinity means to me. Like forget what society has told me, forget like what the reactionary side of society has told me. Like what does it actually mean to me? And um, it proved to be so much more of a transformative journey than I 
ever imagined. Uh, people who knew me before, during, and after say it's almost like I became a different person. Now, me being the way that I am, I, <laughs> I did a bit of an over-the-top <laughs> way of doing this. I, I lived in San Francisco at the time, deep in a like Burning Man artist community, um, where like taking on personas and costuming up and is encouraged even. So I created this archetype, an alter ego that I dubbed the erotic rock star, and I used him to dive in and explore what would a healthy masculine sexual expression look like because I looked around for role models and I I couldn't find what I was looking for. What my erotic rock star years, as I call them, was a seven-year chapter where I took those those two words, erotic and rock star, and I pushed them to the to the hilt of like what what those words could mean. How sexy could I make every moment? What what did it mean? Uh, for me, it ended up meaning yeah, like every moment I was asking myself like how can I make this moment more sexy? How can I make Ooh. this more rock star? Mean more larger than life, living more full out, being more expressed. Because both of those things were things that I wasn't doing prior. I was more disconnected from my sexuality, more disconnected from my more masculine power elements, more of a wallflower than being expressed. So instead, I. You know, I swung the pendulum really far, <laughs> and uh, any uh, any event or party which I was going to constantly, I needed to be a center of, the, of attention. I was dressed as provocative and sexy as I could Im- imagine. I learned to flirt excessively well, and um, I explored my every fantasy, including fantasies that I couldn't have imagined prior until I'd lived everything out that I ever imagined and then some, and it started to have diminishing returns. I noticed that as you're talking about that, like my body got like a little bit of a flush, like I got excited (laughs) when you talked about pushing your boundaries on the erotic and the rock star and like imagining what it would be to be that expressed. How did you go from a wallflower to making that commitment? What happened to you? Uh, well, part of it was pain, um, but part of it was um, meeting the right woman who helped unlock these things uh, initially. I, it, it, I took it further in our in our breakup, but it started with her. Um, I got involved with this woman who is a circus performer and sometimes stripper. I'd see her out on the dance floor and she would just start getting into her performer self. And I don't even mean stripping element, just kind of getting into her performer dancing self. And very quickly, a crowd would form around her and my jaw would drop just watching and being like, oh my God, this is okay. Like she's not, she's not holding back at all. And the more she leans into it, the more everyone loves it. And I just took it as permission and I just started leaning in a little bit at a time until more and more until we became a, the exhibitionist couple mm. everywhere all the time. And then, like I said, when we broke up, I took it further. It's like now it was mine to, now it was for me to make it my own. And that's when I really like own the erotic rock star label. And again, my, like being with her, I think is part of what gave me the permission to move through some of my fears of, you know, being creepy, being, you know, these different things are, that I think a lot of men today worry about with their sexual expression, that being with her somehow gave it permission or made it safer. But on the other side of that, because I was leaning into this, there's a the question of, well, how do, how do I do this? And I think that what it was is more of, I learned 
that the things that make things creepy or uncomfortable or cause trauma are largely about when men are either hiding their desire and thereby being manipulative around it, uh, trying to get something roundabout, or overall just trying to get something, making their desire the other person's responsibility. Mm. I'm going to say that again. Making, their, making his desire somebody else's or the woman's responsibility and uh, you know, to meet it, to do something with it. And in, instead, I just learned how to make my sexual expression to be about, my, about fun and enjoyment. It's not about the, the other person doesn't need to do anything with it. And also not learning to not take any of it personally like if this person that i'm engaging with you know isn't responding isn't engaging back that's okay moving on (laughs) i mean i want to just pause there for the moment because uh this this idea that everyone has an initiatory person like your girl this woman shows you the way and that how we're light showers or way showers for each other which you're doing a lot of we'll get into and then just pausing to say they're hiding their true desire like these getting behaviors, entering into any interaction with another where there's a, I want something from you, transactional, extractive, whatever. Like that's a very big thing to unwind. And you kind of skated over it by being a a full expression of your own self and learning how to, you know, (laughs) but let's just stay there. How many times, if you're listening, do you enter into an interaction with someone with either a conscious or an unconscious desire to get something from them? Approval, attraction, a deal, I don't know. What do you encounter in your groups? Well, in my groups, it's a lot of men who are needing to learn to lean into their desire more, like I did prior to the erotic rock star, is who are, are more hesitant in that regards and for one reason or another. The line that I've learned to walk with that is learning to give them permission to that their sexuality can be okay. In fact, not only okay, but it can be a gift. Mm-hmm. And how to show up in such a way that it is that. And, you know, and that his fear of turning into, quote unquote, one of those guys doesn't end up coming about. Okay. So you're, you're erotic rock star. You're becoming fully expressed. Mm-hmm. And then that period comes to an end. What was the next sort of uh, evolutionary stage? You go from poopa to? <laughs> <laughs> to papa. Uh, that, that came a minute to later. Um, <laughs> I think there is a minute later. I had a series of crises occur all in the span of a year. Um, a highly toxic relationship um, with a woman who I ended up impregnating, who then aborted uh, the child, um, though I very much wanted it. My mom got getting diagnosed with cancer, then her dying, doing a spiritual pilgrimage to India during which I had my own major health crises um, that led to uh, an extreme adrenal exhaustion that left me bedridden for months and then three years of real healing. And combined it all, my erotic rockster was done. I was just, I, I had no energy anymore. Actually, with the health crisis initially, I went from hypersexual to zero libido. Talk about extremes and talk about an ego death. I mean, that was incredibly confronting. My entire identity was was erotic rock star. And now suddenly I had zero interest in sex. 
yeah, first I went internal, went very much into cocoon for a while. And then on the other side of that, well, one is my sexuality started to come back online, but it was clear, I don't want to go back to what was, so what's next? But also this sense of like, dude, I don't want the best of my life to be behind me, but how do I top the erotic rock star? <laughs> so, so I started playing around with it for a while. And ultimately I dreamed up this, this archetype, uh, I'm big on those clearly, of what I called the the evolved masculine, which really took the best of what I I learned during my erotic rockstar years, as well as the things that I only learned through hindsight, uh, including through the mistakes that I made before, and also made the shift from whereas the erotic rockstar was very much my life as laboratory, where I was in constant experimental mode, testing to see what's working, what's not working, and see what was possible through my own lived experience. Through the evolved masculine, is much more service oriented. It was like, I don't need another wild experience. I've had plenty. How do I help others have healthier connections to their own sexuality? And not necessarily, I'm not trying to create mini me's or, or in fact, anytime somebody tells me that they, they're inspired by the erotic rock star and they want to like walk in his footsteps, I'm like, hold on a second. Let, let's, let me share with you some of the downsides and <laughs> help you be clear as well as see the things that you probably just can't see on the surface level on the outside. Like the incredible attention that I was putting into how to walk this path with integrity even if I may have made missteps along the way, I put enormous attention into how does one walk this path of being a wildly expressed as a man in his sexuality and do so with integrity. It sounds to me like that would be a natural response to the repression of the masculine, that one of the reasons you might have done that to begin with was to keep people around you safe. Mm-hmm. And so even as you move into this next phase, you know, you're doing it like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to not lose the part that I valued so much. And the integrity helps you be safe. Exactly. And another key piece of this was, you know, this is 2007. This was peak of the pickup industry. So this was, so the pickup world was rising up all around me. And I was like, this is not the answer. What was the pickup industry? You're going to fill people in? Uh Wow, really? So <laughs> it was huge. Absolutely. Thankfully, it's past its peak. It, it, basically, it it really hit the mainstream through Neil Strauss's book, The Game, Penetrating the Secret Society of Pickup Artists. And it, it was a thing in every major city, not even just in the country, like throughout the world, uh, where men would gather online and off to share uh, tactics, many of which were manipulative, if not coercive, on how to get women, how to, how to score, essentially, how to get women to spread their legs for you. Again, there are aspects of the of that world that are okay. Some of it is it could even be positive, but it was highly tainted through a bit of a misogynistic lens, and particularly what I just consider dehumanizing lens. So it was not only dehumanizing women, but in my view, it was pretty dehumanizing to men as well. Yeah, if yeah. you have to work all these manipulative tactics to get a woman to want you, what is that actually saying? It says that you as a man could not be innately desirable. A woman could not actually authentically want you. You have to make her and trick her, coerce her, manipulate her into wanting you. And I feel like that's probably the antecedent of the incel movement. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like they're all tied together. At the very least, it, it's one of the outgrowths 
from the, the pickup world. The pickup world was, was complicated. Again, it got it got very big and it branched out in different directions. One part of it moved in a relatively positive direction. One moved towards the incel direction. But it is it was something I never wanted to I never liked associating myself with, but it was it it was like my my counterpart. Like I'd look at to see how do I do this better? Like how do I how do I show that something else is possible? And I like the game that I was playing with myself first and foremost was I need to prove that there was quote unquote a better way. Yeah. I hear that. I feel like your evolved masculine really taps into that. So you your position of holding it with more integrity and allowing people to come from self-love and more of a match with someone than trying to get something from them. That's that's a pretty big shift. Talk about the evolved masculine. What is that? Yeah, well, 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 the evolved masculine was first and foremost for myself, but also proved to be extremely valuable for many, many other men. Um, it was a an archetype that I imagined that I kind of laid out these different values and attributes that I believe is the best of what a, a man could be. Given my background in like neo-tantra um, worlds and community, that I took a very strong inspiration from the chakra system, energetic system, um, using each of these like energetic points as like, well, what's what's the masculine positive expression of that? So a man who is grounded, solid in himself, knows who he is and what he is here for. A man who is comfortable and owns his sexuality and its expression. A man who uh, is a creative being, lives his life as art, understands that that every action he takes, word that he speaks, or thought that he thinks is another brushstroke on the masterpiece that is his life. A man who has claimed his power, not power over others, but the innate power that exists and, and emanates from within. A man connected to his heart, a man who knows how, how to love and be loved, knows he's worthy of love, and love freely and fiercely, a man who is fully expressed, living in his authenticity and in his truth, a man who has cultivated both a fierce intellect as well as knowing how to still his mind and listen to his intuition, and a man who is connected to his spirituality, something larger than himself, and a sense of his own purpose. And within all of this, because as you may have noticed, I moved up through the chakras as I stated each of those, but a man who has integrated his healthy feminine, he's not afraid of it, he doesn't bury it, he doesn't try to kill it off, nor does he retreat into it, but he understands this part of himself and how through knowing and owning the, the healthy part of his feminine, he can know her externally more fully and deeply better as well. Thank you for that. It's really beautiful. And I, I was thinking about the yin-yang versus the masculine-feminine languaging that's emerging. Sure. Or as Mark Whitwell puts it, strength and receptivity. That there's this agentic part. Let's use the mental chakra, for example. Like you have the part of you that's knowing and the part of you that can meditate, but then the part of you that's receptive is the part that learns. You know, and that each there's an integration at each of those chakra points of the strength and receptivity of that. Oh, I'm a big fan. That wouldn't be my language around it, but I do get it. Um, I, I guess one of the reasons why I have some hesitancy around it is I think that receptivity is its own strength, and I don't want to minimize that. Yeah, that's what he is. That the polarity of agency and receptivity that exists at each point in your, you know, I think there's a, it's a little bit of spanda, like being in the flow. 
So I can imagine someone coming at all different points on this evolutionary continuum. And what's the process of working with someone? I, I mean, there's a lot of workshoppy things going on around the world. There's, you know, coaching model, but it feels like this is like a lifelong practice to continue to evolve oneself to a clear, integrated masculine feminine being. Well, I think so. <laughs> However, you know, like you, I believe, I love the lifelong process. Yeah. You know, that, that sometimes we, especially to somebody newly on the path or just opening up to it, the idea of lifelong can sound intimidating. But the truth is like walking those types of lifelong paths, like um, I, like particularly I'm a big fan of mastery and paths of mastery is that there is no end goal. Um, the beauty in it is that you can walk it every day and it just keeps on expanding. There's just, and deepening, there's just always more, but each step that you take, it's not that there's someplace that you have to get to each new step is beautiful in its own right is more expansive in its own right brings like makes life better in its own right. So enjoy this step that you're in, like move towards the next step, enjoy that process of moving towards the next step, and then can, and then rinse and repeat. <laughs> yeah, particularly if you're enjoying the process. Like I have a, a very deep resonance on that in the bhakti yoga tradition. Like it's 25 years and I'm still opening like new gates and I don't see it ever stopping. Now it makes me a little bit of a super nerd. <laughs> On that subject, like it's hard to relate to me when we get into that space, like coming back to the beginning and <laughs> simplifying, you know. Oh, okay, so we're evolving the masculine, and you're doing these programs, but then you have another chapter. You became a dad, yeah, and that seems another like big step, massive transformation. Yeah, <laughs> as if my erotic rock star transformation wasn't major. I don't know which one was bigger. I don't think I truly understood how how transformative becoming a father would be. I, you know, initially, I think there's this process of just trying to like kind of fit it into life as I know it, and increasingly coming to the, this place where that's untenable, and I, I have to like just surrender to it, radically reshaping my entire life. And now I have two children. My son just turned three. My daughter is about to turn six, and they're now the center of my world. You know, I mean, for the longest time, my work, my purpose was the center of my world. Being a, an involved husband and father, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. I, I needed to reorient everything so that family was the center. And then I, uh, every, my work and everything builds out around from that it's beautiful. It's powerful. All the cliches are true. It's definitely the hardest thing I've, I've ever done, particularly those first couple of years. <laughs> Did you do any preparation like new dad class or therapy to get over your own dad issues? I mean, did you do any of that before the baby came, the first one? Not in that sense. I've been doing deep self-work for a very long time, 15 years probably. So that helped tremendously. And the fact that I didn't have my first child until I was just shy of 40, also, you know, the downside being, there really is only one real downside, which is energy levels. You know, <laughs> my energy levels in my 40s are not quite the same that they were in the 20s. But aside from that, there's so much plus to being a later father. What you were referring to, the fact that 
I'm grounded in myself. I know who I am. I've worked through so much of, I mean, it's not to say I don't have any issues anymore, but I've worked through so much of my deeper issues, including my mom and dad related issues. I have so many more resources available to me. I have a healthy marriage, you know, all these things that if I'd done it any earlier would have been a mess. And still, and still, parenthood and marriage is so challenging. It gives me so much compassion for other people's experiences because I feel like I have so much going for me and it still has me just on the edge of overwhelm so often. Mm. You know, I, I think there's scientific data that says that your epigene keeps changing every day of your life. So everything that you do in your life up until the moment of conception for your child is wrapped into their epigene. So that's another bonus, by the way, for like later parenting is literally all of your growth efforts are being passed on to your child. You're rewriting their instructions on what code to express. I will put that in the show notes if anybody's interested in learning about that. So I think what you, because we started out with you talking about, you know, the difficulty of having an abusive father, uh, in part, you have this chance to really rewrite the story for your own children in such a beautiful way. So congratulations and thank you. Yeah, I put ongoing, consistent effort into that. Mm. You know, it is so important to me. And, um, you know, one of the ways in which I address that is when conflict does arise between my wife and I, I do my best if my kids witness any of the conflict, I want them to also see the resolution of the conflict, the repair, mm. instead of just like, oh, they see, see the blow up. And then like, after they go to sleep, we repair on our own. And then they just experience conflict. And then everything's normal again. And I don't think that's a healthy imprint. No, I love that you're including them in that process, because it shows that it's a skill, not a magical thing. So I want to I want to ask you a little bit about grounding into fatherhood while simultaneously remaining a sexual being, a sexual, creative, sensual being, and how that shows up for the people in your community. And, and you know, what do you see there? Overall, it can be challenging being a parent of young children and having a social life of any kind. <laughs> Time. Time and energy really being the big ones there. We do have strong community and um, we tend to be seen as models of healthy family within that, especially because our community is a pretty sex positive, you know, more sexually expressed than your average sort of people community. Um, you know, them seeing yeah, the way that we are with one another, as well as the fact that we're not just, oh, yeah, we have kids and we're all constantly off doing our own thing. Like we're clearly highly devotional parents at the same time, while also not completely losing ourselves and putting effort. I mean, don't get me wrong. During the first couple of years of each of their birth, there were elements of losing ourselves in the in the sacrifice of taking care of infants <laughs> um, and then doing the work to, to repair that and re-individuating and finding ourselves both together as well as individually. 
we do regularly get reflected back to us that that that, that can be inspiring and to which i always respond yes thank you I'm, I'm i'm glad we can be that and also know it's been imperfect we've made many mistakes along that way we've had our breakdowns with one another we've lost ourselves individually and together in this process i think that the the thing that's worth modeling is we just keep coming back to it though you know we 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 find our way back to a place of healthy relating and individuation and engagement with the community and engagement with our sexuality. I feel like just like you're saying, you keep the resolution process in the children's view, keeping this idea that it's not that we fall off, it's the refractory period, the resilience, how we handle these breaches or these breaks. And that's really the skill set that, that that seems to be the sk- the skill of living is the ability to keep coming back. I I wish that it was smoother than it was earlier. I mean, my wife and I are approaching uh, 10 years together. You know, we're far better now than we were before. Mm. You know, I've had to learn what healthy marriage is on my own because I certainly didn't have it modeled for me. I think that's one of the big ways that I've come to define it now is that I learn how to love my wife better over the years. Mm. You know, that I wanted to love her up you know, perfectly at the, at the beginning, like on our wedding day, but I certainly didn't love her perfectly. I had loads of my own stuff that was coming up in one way or another. I had lo- loads to still learn about healthier conflict resolution and conf- healthier expression of my own self during conflict. And, you know, a big part of learning to love her better has been that, learning how to take care of my own shit. <laughs> you know? How would it be if we put in your in everybody's vows, I vow to learn to love you better every day? Yeah. Rather than, you know, I'm going to do it, you know, great from the beginning. Also releases a performance metric, like a like a performance mm, what's the word I'm looking for? A standard of behavior that I think a lot of people get trapped in and then they don't feel they measure up to it and that creates a whole shame loop. Yeah. Yeah, which I've definitely experienced. And also I think that, that, you know, one of the romantic notions that I think needs to die is this notion of, I promise I will never hurt you. Yeah, you will. <laughs> and you know what? I'll forgive you. It's more of how do you navigate it? Right. Like, like I promise mm. I probably will hurt you and we'll both and you'll probably hurt me and we'll both make a commitment to working on forgiveness and holding it as lightly as possible. You know, I feel like there's something in there, too. And how do we learn through it? The main thing I, I want to do is not keep repeating the same mistakes, you know, not keep hurting one another in the same ways. You know, like, how do I learn from the, from the mistakes and the harms of the past? <laughs> yeah, let's hurt each other in altogether <laughs> new ways. <laughs> let's just keep experimenting. <laughs> well, since I know my, my soul is perfectly <laughs> untouchable, you can go ahead and we can mess around in these embodiments and see what's happening. I want to talk a little bit about the course. Like you, you, one thing I was intrigued by in your work was you're inviting people in with the title of sexual self-mastery. But my experience of you is more about the self-mastery piece than the sexual piece. <laughs> so <laughs> there's something there's something in that. Yeah. I'm wondering like how people are drawn to you, like what are the questions that they're bringing at the forefront and then what are the questions underneath that? Okay, so there there's several things in that. 
Uh, well, first of all, like my longest background is in sexuality-related work. You know, I started at, at NYU uh, 25 years ago, and so I have very, very strong foundations around understanding human sexuality from a wide variety of disciplines. And then the masculinity, uh, feminine uh, journey uh, opened up, and I started integrating all of that as I started finding, oh, one of the major issues between men and women, or even the bedroom, is goes far beyond technique or anything like that, but really about these underlying dynamics and how we relate with one another. Getting back to your question around uh, sexual self-mastery and the questions that people come to me with and the underlying components, men often come my way because something isn't quite working in the bedroom the way that they'd like it to. Either it's ejaculation issues, erection issues, confidence issues, one stop not having sex anymore, differing desires. Quite often, yeah, there is something else going on. Um, Anxiety, uh, whether it's generalized anxiety or specific to quote-unquote performance anxiety, um, that's a lot more common than I would have expected going into it. First of all, erection issues and ejaculation issues overall are extremely widespread extremely widespread, um, which quite honestly is another reason why it's become one of my centerpieces, is the demand is so strong. There's a hungry market. And then it's this portal, this like gateway for all this deeper work. Because when you are in a place of like deep pain, which if you struggled in either of those areas for an extended period of time, the pain can be ex- can be quite extreme then there's an openness. There's an openness to understand, to know what you don't know. And I help solve those issues, but the way that I go about helping them solve it is a pretty radical repatterning of both their sexual nervous system as well as how the men relate to themselves as a man, how they relate to women and and lovers overall and their sexuality. Mm, I love that. Pain does create an opening for learning if you're willing to listen. And I think I was looking at the ED erectile dysfunction stuff, and we were really talking about changing the language away from dysfunction to like a range of normal. You know, that there's there's like an expectation. I think you and I touched on this in our pre-call, an expectation that you're always ready and you're always hard, and it's like a model of masculinity. But that actually over the course of your life and you know, your course of your attraction, like it's not always going to be that way and that might be okay. Well, that's 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 also part of one of the solutions because the, the shame, whether again we're talking about ejaculation issues or erection uh, concerns, the shame compounds the problem so much and can sometimes even be the root cause of the problem. Like they have one experience, one experience of not getting erect when they want to or losing their erection um, or ejaculating sooner than they want to. And it, it, it spirals them into shame. And then before they go into their next sexual experience, they start to get into the head of, well, what if it happens again? And then they get so in their head about happening again that it ends up happening again. And now they've got twice the proof that there's just there's just something wrong with him. Is there something wrong with him? He's bro- he's fundamentally broken in in his mind, and so it just starts going down this spiral uh, loop. Which sometimes I mean, I've been go to come to me sometimes who they've been on that loop for decades. So simply relaxing into this notion of can you simply be with whatever is happening in this moment, what 
whatever is happening at this moment, can you simply accept it and, and find your way of enjoying this? And, and that is not necessarily a simple task. And that's why I like to work with people over a period of a few months. But simply relaxing into that sometimes is, you know, 80% of the solution. Yeah, I mean, it's this amor fati, stoics, like loving it as it is. I want to talk about, like, I'm going to make the assumption of a heterosexual relationship just for this conversation. But say you're a woman and your partner isn't aroused in the traditional way, like the, their penis isn't direct, but that they might be very loving and caring toward you. And for you to not reinforce that shame. Thank you. Yeah, like a little bit of that, like, you know what? <laughs> cool, this is kind of a normal thing, but it doesn't, it's got nothing to do with me. Or like, how do you know when it does have to do with you? You know, there's sort of a, what happens there? What's that loop between men and women? Thank you. For, first of all, women, I would really like for you to better understand how powerful your words can be on a man. That, again, I, I've heard it. I've worked with a couple thousand men at least around these issues. And while this isn't an all the time thing, I've heard too many times a man who one woman's flippant, negative, shaming comment towards him around coming sooner than he wanted to or losing his direction, again, sent him into a spiral that took him years or even decades to recover from. Well, you probably forgot about it and moved on with your life. Your words are powerful and your compassion goes a long way. So I know that one of the big reasons why these things can come up is the way that, that you can personalize it and make it about yourself um, intentionally or not. That, well, he's maybe he's just not attracted to me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe. And maybe it has nothing to do with you. Maybe he's locked in his head. Maybe he had a bad experience before. Maybe he's got porn compulsivity issues that, that uh, have wired his nervous system in such a way that he's requiring so much intensity in order to get that level of arousal that, again, has nothing to do with you and is his own learning or healing journey. I mean, there's so many different things can be playing a factor that have nothing to do with you. Maybe it's an emotional issue. Maybe it's an emotional issue that he doesn't even really understand. Because again, as you mentioned earlier, Christine, that the expectation that is held for men, both women hold it for men and men hold it for themselves, is that he should be ever hard and always ready and wanting. And the truth is, we do have emotional experiences of our own. And I think particularly as we get older, our hearts get more involved with our sexuality as well as past wounds end up being held more in relation to our sexuality. And we may need more that's not just, oh, there's, there's a naked woman in front of me, I'm ready to go. But really, how, do, how are you connecting? Is there something there? How, is his heart feeling tender? Does he feel safe? And again, these are not conversations that are in our larger culture around men's sexuality, but they can be very real. I, I have a softness arising from that conversation. Like I can imagine a bedroom with misunderstanding energy, you know, like that looking away from one another. And it kind of brings me to the question of how do you learn to talk about those things in a way that's receptive and nurturing and sensual and it's such a private place. Do you ever, you know, I imagine it would be hard to even do the work individually 
and then take it back to your spouse or your partner alone? So I do my best to encourage the men to bring their partner on as a teammate in this journey. Uh-huh. Some men refuse and hide it from their partner and try to figure it all out on their own and then bring it to their partner. And I say, look, it's not impossible, but just let you know, it's the harder path. (laughs) It is easier and more enjoyable if you and your partner can be on the same page, if you can share these different practices with them, they can support you through the through the process, if you can be in communication during through, if the two of you together, even better, if the two of you can together can take these next few months on as like, this is a learning journey that you're on together so that you can have more of the sex life connection, pleasure, intimacy that you really want together and to experience it together. And in that way, and if he holds it right, it can actually still hold a, a quote-unquote dominant frame where he actually is introducing something new to her that she wouldn't otherwise experience and taking her on this journey that he is going on. So these are the things that, uh, for those who like those more traditional masculine-feminine dynamics where the man is leading, it's a way that he can actually still lead while being in his growth process. So I visited your website, of course, and on the front is a video of you like in feathers and in the desert and in the jungles and like massaging and like, oh, it's so sensual. And I was wondering, like, how do men who are just like basically finding their way to articulating desire or leading their spouse or talking about something, how do they relate to that standard? Mm. Well, uh, what you're referring to is uh, currently on my homepage, I have a, uh, a teaser of a short film that I made called Seductive Devotion. And uh, it's a short, short film, it's about seven minutes. And I created it um, to be a high standard, to showcase what a man showing up in loving and erotic devotion to a woman can look like and how how to do it in a way that's not just like pedestally and like supplication and like disempowering to the man, but rather actually draws out a, a power and potency within him through that process. So, I mean, why do I set a high standard? Because we, we need models. We need models to, to strive towards. And uh, I'm sorry, but the models that we generally uh, get are mostly broken. So yeah, I know it's a, a high bar. I've worked my entire life to be able to hit that bar <laughs> myself. And few have put in the tremendous time, energy, and money um, that I ha- have into these things. And also, yeah, if you see this and you're like, oh my God, I want this. How do I have this? Well, here, I've got different things to help you learn how to be more like this. As far as how it's received by my audience, I'm going to start with the women because the women I've shown it well, both at film festivals as well as like privately. And there's definitely a gap between women's responses and men's responses. Um, women, quite frankly, swoon. Mm, 
I swooned. You swooned. Let's just be clear. I swooned. I, I was like, oh, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. Oh, I want to pull that curtain back. How did that happen? I totally swooned. So I joined that cohort. Go ahead. <laughs> I've shown women who start crying, who had strong emotional responses. And then I showed it to one woman who is probably in her late 50s, a a leader in my community, a you know beautiful and powerful woman who she shared, she's like, I hate you right now. And I'm like, why is that? She's like, because I've spent years convincing myself that I don't need that. Oh, hon, that's so sad. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 when, when, you, when you got to the crying piece, did you know what they were crying about? Was it similar, that, that level of like... Uh, different things. It, it largely, you know what? I showed it at, at a, um, a gathering in my home, a community gathering in my home. Um, after listening to a bunch of the women present share... A man stepped forward and said, it seems that you have tapped into an unmet eternal yearning within the feminine. A hundred percent. The heart's longing. The heart is longing for that. And, and so I say this because, again, my point is not to say, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. My erotic rock study is, yeah, maybe I was doing that. But <laughs> at this point, I don't care. I really don't care about that. It's more of I've recognized that unmet yearning, that there is something that most women are craving and most women are not having met at all or it's being undermet. And most men aren't even aware. And so, yes, I want to highlight that. I want, to, I want men to, first of all, re recognize that this unmet need is there and hopefully be inspired to rise to meet it. You know, one of the things I found so beautiful about it was the implied willingness of the creatures of those moments to put time, energy, attention into this part of their reality, that there is something about like not having it to be having to extract it from your partner, like pull it out. That felt so potent. Do you know what I mean? Like there's this this willing, joyful co-creation, collaboration of these sensual moments mm. that um, I, I was just very moved by that piece. I will send you a private link so you could watch the full thing. Okay. <laughs> Great. There goes my weekend. <laughs> gonna watch it and then i'll never be the same uh again i'm really looking forward to putting it out publicly and i'm also really looking forward to the next project uh, my desire really is to be creating a lot more on the the film front and as you can see from this film like i'm into high production value and um you know this is not something i can just put together in a weekend it took a lot of devotion, uh, time, energy, and, and resources from me to to um, to create this thing, and again, the the process though was uh, was incredible. You know, it was a, a a peak life experience for me. So, sexual self mastery. We're saying what brings people in, and then how that ties into this evolution to erotic devotion. Um, but there's also a component of getting your whole evolved masculine integrated chakra component aligned like you're really offering a program for self-development that manifests in sexuality is what i'm hearing yeah i've been mean, using our sexuality as the, the carrot essentially just everybody wants more and better sex so great here come this way and <laughs> and i will help you 
have more and better sex and through it, become a better man. That's a great place to close. I will help you have more and better sex and become a better man. And in the process, become become a better man. man. Oh, fantastic. Is there anything we missed that you want to include? Mm. I feel like I I just want to say a little bit more about the sexual self-mastery. Yeah, yeah, okay. I've been teaching sexual self-mastery since... Uh, 2008 or 2009, so around 15 years. And you learn a lot when you work with thousands of men over the course of 15 years around a specific area. And I mean, one of the biggest things is just you learn, I learn nuance, you know, how, ah, in this situation, you should do this. Oh, unless there's this going on, in which case you should do this, unless, the, and, and also this, then this. Uh, that there, there are all these little pieces and how they affect one another and particularly again like what i think of as the mind body spirit connection and how uh you know as a society we tend to look at any of these issues as medical issues you know go go see a doctor get a pill what have you and while i'm sure that sometimes that is the appropriate path my guess is most of the time, it's not the appropriate path. It's not a physiological medical issue or concern most of the time, but rather a psychological, emotional, energetic one. And that by addressing it through that way, um, you're going to get better results. Um, You know, we were speaking earlier about how women can personalize his erection issues or but the other major factor that that goes on a lot is a lot of men are just disconnected from their bodies, period. They live inside their heads. They live inside their minds. And again, this affects all areas of their life. It's like they're not, they don't experience life. They experience their thoughts about life. And so making that shift from the head down into their body, again, it's a game changer, both in the bedroom, both for himself and his own experience and tremendously for her experience as well. Because if he is trying to figure her out like a video game, what's the combination of buttons I need need to press and where and when in order for an orgasm to pop out? I mean, maybe he can make you come, but it's not going to create that same depth of experience and connection, intimacy, passion that you probably crave. That only happens when he is really present in his body, not lo- not up in his head, not thinking about what to do, not in his insecurity, not in his judgments, not anywhere in his head, but really in his body, in his five senses, fully there with you. But that also, again, translates outside of the bedroom. As you live life as a man, you want to live your life, not, again, not your thoughts about life. You can experience so much joy, so much pleasure, so much of what this life has to offer when you actually feel safe to be in your body. And if you've been taught since you were a young boy that you're, it's not safe to be in your body, to, to, to dissociate, to armor up, your emotions aren't safe. Bury them, be stoic. Don't, you know, you just learn to disconnect. This is also a process of reconnecting, reconnecting to yourself. And then within that, connecting more deeply to your lovers. Well, we've covered so much. I mean, whether it's this idea of reassociation of the whole self, uh, re-knowing the body, integrating all the pieces, uh, bringing yourself fully into this moment and feeling it, and then applying that to your personal life, to your relationships, to your sexuality, 
what I, I really love this invitation to make it a lifelong walk. Just to keep learning and growing and enjoy where you are to the extent you can and be committed to ongoing learning, you know. I'm going to put all the other stuff in the links below. And if somebody wants to come and do a tester or like a op- uh, little invitation program, where do you recommend they start with you? DestinGarrick.com slash SSM. That's your sexual self-mastery. Uh, if it's easier for you to remember, EvolveMasculine.com slash SSM will also get you there. I have a free one-hour training there on becoming the best lover she's ever had, or he or there for that matter. Uh, and that will both... Uh, give you real value in the moment from tools that you can start incorporating immediately, as well as kind of guide you with uh, the framework of how I do the work that I do. And um, if you want to dive deeper into the sexual self-mastery training, how you'd go about doing that. Thank you for your work. Thank you. You as well. Really a pleasure. Well, thank you so much to Destin and to all of the people who, despite the taboos and shame and all of the other prohibitions society has put on exploring our sexuality, continue to do that work to help bring light and presence and attunement into this most vital part of our lives. I, of course, find that material important. Rosebud is about that, the company that I started in Women's Intimate Health. It's now body care and lifestyle and other things, but it started out with intimate care products because of the taboos people carry and the way the taboos block conversation and the way the lack of conversation blocks education and the way all of that together creates suffering. And I think we can stop that. Just stop it. Just stop it. There's a funny Bob Newhart clip from way back and he plays a therapist and he gets paid a dollar a minute. And a woman comes in and she starts to tell him about her fear of heights. And he just goes, well, just stop it. And that's pretty much his answer to everything. So it's kind of a household joke now. Whenever somebody's deep in their story, you just kind of look at each other and go, well, just stop it. Now, obviously, that's not a very likely outcome. Uh, because a lot of that stuff is driven by old pattern that needs to be a little bit more excavated and healed. But it is a good pointer, you know, that we are in choice all the time. And as always, we want these stories to end with us. The ones that are unhelpful, let's not pass them on or reinforce them with our friends or our family or in the society at large. Okay, you know where to find Destin and you know where to find me. I'd love to hear from you and instagram at the.rose.woman so all love all love 